the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Right now, there's a situation brewing in the men's basic department. Men are being held hostage by overpriced brands that simply aren't mission-tested. That's why we're excited to tell you about Undertack, the only brand that's literally been battle-tested by special forces. These have to be the greatest boxers ever made because they cover all the bases. High-quality material that's antibacterial, anti-pilling, and moisture-wicking so you stay fresh and dry all day. Uh, I recently did a 30-mile run in preparation for an ultramarathon in a couple weeks wearing the Recon boxers, and they were absolutely incredible. I loved them. They have a quick-release fly and a secret pocket in the extra-wide waistband for cash or tactical necessities. Undertack is durable, ultralight, fade-resistant, and shrink-resistant. And here's the best part, they're almost 30% less than the competition. Go to getundertack.com. That's getundertack.com right now. Save 20% off your order with the offer code SITREP20. All one word, SITREP20. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. That is a great American company that's unapologetically pro-America, pro-Second Amendment, and pro-military. That's getundertack.com. GetUndertack.com, offer code SITREP20. Welcome to today's episode of The Situation Report. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. And as culture changes, and it's changing all of the time, there are major global issues that arise uh, that kind of make it all more complicated. (laughs) We have our own stuff we're dealing with. And then issues like what is happening in Ukraine right now um, pop up, and the whole world is focused on that. And it's hard to know how to navigate that. We've talked about that a little bit on this show. And today have a a repeat guest, someone that I hope will come back again and again. He's just incredible and speaks so clearly even on this issue. And uh, looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. Welcome to my guest today, Matthew Tierman. My guest today is Matthew Tiermond, and Matthew has been with us uh, before and uh, had such an incredible conversation last time. But it seems like the world has caught on fire, even in the last whatever it's been. It's been like a month, (laughs) two months or whatever. Things are upside down, and uh, you've been in Ukraine. You've spent time there. Um, You're also very involved in Poland, and you spent a lot of time there as well. So I'm not going to get in the way. Uh, I'm just going to kick it off. Tell us us what's happening, and uh, we'll just kind of work from there. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on again. I enjoyed our chat last time, and I love what you guys are doing. Awesome. Uh, you know, by way of background from last time, I, I do live part-time in Poland. I'm deeply involved in European politics and sort of working with the, with the sovereignist right, those who are trying to bring back their, their sovereign 
uh, sovereign nationhood back from uh, the European Union Confederation, right. uh, which has right. abrogated right. so much borders and cultural values and uh, just the decision-making of free elected sovereigns. And so I spent a lot of time in the region. I've been to Ukraine um, many times in the past, uh, and I was just there a few weeks ago in Poland. I was at the border, the Polish-Ukrainian uh, border at Medica. Uh, there's eight border crossings in a sort of straight north-south line that connect uh, Poland and Ukraine, and then there are border crossings in uh, Slovakia, Hungary, <clears throat> Romania, Moldova. Uh, those are all uh, countries that have taken in refugees as uh, this uh, this act of aggression, and this is what it is. Uh, you know, mm. uh, I, I do understand there is a lot of nuance, uh, and the debate that the right and the left are having over cause and effect have some validity. But what I'm seeing is the right is playing the role of useful idiot for a hundred years since the Bolshevik Revolution. It's been the sole. Uh, stomping ground of leftists, especially elite leftists around the world in developed economies, uh, are making apologism for, for, for the Marxism, the communism, the socialism mm. out of yeah. the Soviet Union. And then in the recent last few years, on the right, uh, there's been this dichotomy set up that you're either for Soros or you're for Putin. Now, yeah, right, right. one interview, uh, you know, they can both be assholes. You know, they're both <laughs> really bad figures. But, you know, it, like elections, when you've got bad candidates, as we frequently have, it's the lesser of evils. It's the the better in a, in a relative game. And everything is a game of relativity. I mean, if you're if you're working toward the perfect, much like working toward the utopia, uh, you're going to be left with nothing. The perfect is the enemy of the good. And in this situation where Russia is violently aggressing its neighbor yeah. uh, to the uh, to the west uh, with Ukraine, uh, I, I don't see as much gray as some of the commentators on the right are seeing. But that doesn't give short shrift to the, the, the points that are being made that the West has culpability here. The, the encroachment upon what Putin telegraphed as his line in the sand, uh, pushing the West into his near abroad, uh, into Ukraine with NATO, pushing uh, EU ascension, which is utterly ridiculous. Uh, Ukraine, I think that emotional, politically reactive moment where everybody in Europe said, we are going to fast track Ukraine into the European right. Union, that's right. already subsided because that's utterly ridiculous. They do not meet any of the standards, most notably the basic rules of governance and law that the European Union is going to war with Poland and Hungary uh, over there. You know, Poland right. and Hungary have the, the largest democratically elected mandates in the European Union. Uh, Hungary's about to be renewed massively. Uh, and the EU doesn't like that they're conservative governments, and they're conservative governments precisely because they know what far-off Mandarin bureaucratic fiat and diktat government looks like when whether it's the Soviet Union uh, and the Warsaw Pact when they were behind the Iron Curtain or now with the EU saying that you have to open your borders to third world migrants you have to change your cultural values you have to you know go on the pathway that we see for you when it comes to reform of your judiciaries when they're still fighting sort of communist post-communist forces that we talked yeah. about last time uh, so yeah. Ukraine is so far behind that it makes no sense there's no you know congruent structures in place that would allow for Ukraine to ascend to the EU. NATO's a bit of a different animal. Uh, but that being said, there were assurances made many times in the past about uh, uh, the level of engagement NATO would have over the peripheral border as it exists uh, today formally, which is Poland and Romania and the Baltics. Uh, so Putin has been wary of this. The, the agreements made in the 90s with Gorbachev, later on with Yeltsin, later on reaffirmed with Putin in the 2000s, it actually made for the buffer zone that the West 
and Putin both sort of needed. Uh, right, and then right. after the color revolutions starting in uh, 2004 in Georgia, then Putin did a, a real big 180. I remember when, in 2000, 2001, 2002, there was all this talk that he was a reformer. And when asked, you know, is Ukraine going to join NATO? And he said, that's not my business. That's between Ukraine, NATO, the West, uh, and uh, the European nations, America. That doesn't concern me. In 2004, he did a, a pretty strong 180. And that's when he started becoming more like his Soviet predecessors, much more heavy-handed. He saw the writing on the wall that a importation into Ukraine uh, and into his near abroad, Belarus, Georgia, uh, of Westernism, uh, whether that's the European Union and governance and, and, and structure or in cultural values from America, per se, uh, that would threaten the, the Russian uh, yep. government structure, which is still a vestige of Marxist and Bolshevik Soviet structure. Uh, so, you know, there was this buffer. Obviously, in 2008, he went into Georgia. It was the Polish president, Lech Kaczynski, who went there and sounded the alarm and stood with the Georgians after they had uh, elected Saakashvili, uh, who was a reformer, uh, and the West was able to push back on Russia, and that catalyzed uh, him to be more involved in, for instance, Ukraine, where he was heavily involved in the 2010 election of Yanukovych, who was a, yeah. uh, absolutely uh, congruent synonymous to uh, Lukashenko in Belarus, a puppet state, a vassal state. Uh, he was a puppet. Uh, this was a guy who was, from the age of 14 and 15, an arrested car thief. And this was all of a sudden the guy who ran the Ukrainian election against <laughs> Timoshenko, who yeah. she was a reformer. And yes, she had much backing from the sort of globalist elite, the Atlantic Council and transatlanticists, the Washington, D.C. deep state, uh, those who were pushing forward these these color revolutions. Uh, but she won that election. And it was only in the second round when they were able to stuff ballots in the east where the Russians are very active because Geography is geography. Uh, these are the, the regions where uh, they've now formed breakaway separatist republics, Donbass and Luhansk. Uh, she won that election, but the ballot stuffing put in Yanukovych. And it didn't take long for the Ukrainians to see how bad it was for them because they saw him getting wealthy, his cronies getting wealthy. The defenses of the country went to zero. He was selling all the, you know, Ukraine was a major uh, industrial center for weapons development in the USSR. Yeah. And all the yeah. weapons being developed and all the vestigial and legacy weaponry from the uh, pre-91 uh, pre, uh, period, uh, like when you see in movies where they always take place with, you know, uh, shadowy arms dealers. It's always Ukrainian Soviet <laughs> right. weapons. <laughs> right, well, right. There, there's, there's truth in that. Yeah, and right. that was being sold by Yanukovych for cash in bags or to Swiss bank accounts as he was building DACAs with, you know, zoo menageries of Siberian tigers mm. yeah. while the people were starving and per capita GDP hadn't increased since 1991. In 91, when the Soviet Union fully broke down and the, even the Forget the Warsaw Pact states, but the Soviet states broke away, like Ukraine, yep. like Georgia, like Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, per capita GDP between Poland and Ukraine was about the same. Since then, Poland has gone up four to five times, and Ukraine is still roughly the same. It's it's moved up a little, but I mean it has not caught up. And that is a you know geography is destiny. That is its you know uh, unhappy. Uh, uh, situation being where it is in this Eurasian plain with Russia uh, breathing down its neck, that it has not been able to westernize. And then in the last 10, 15 years, it started to. And it started to. That's why they needed to go heavy-handed with Yanukovych to put him in. Well, they deposed Yanukovych. They freely elect Poroshenko, who turns out to be an oligarch, which we kind of knew. He's the chocolate oligarch. Yeah. And yeah. so they turfed him out via the ballot box and put in Zelensky. Now, whether Zelensky was catalyzed because he was, you know, making deals with the world that 
Economic Forum in Davos and Soros and the State Department and Brussels and Strasbourg are not. He was freely elected. And in 2014, when the Maidan revolution occurred, and I was in Central Europe, and I know Ukrainians, and I know Ukrainians who were there, and I have friends who were journalists who were in the trenches in that square, while Yanukovych's internal security forces were sniping them with rifles yeah. from ministry yeah. buildings, and, and the people were dying in the square. They physically removed Yanukovych and kicked him out of the country. That when they call it the revolution of dignity, and it was that. No matter how it was catalyzed, the people of Ukraine overwhelmingly wanted him out and wanted to self-determine, and they got free elections, and I've watched the Ukrainian democracy take hold. Yes, it's a corrupt country. Yes, it's been a money laundering uh, 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 haven for, for Dem in the U.S. and globalist elites of the left. Uh, it is a 48, at that point it was a 48 million person country. Since Donbass, it lost two to four million that, that moved Ukrainians that were pushed out by Russians uh, in that 14, 15, you know, what happened in Crimea in, yep. in 15. Yep. Uh, and so the, the population was reduced. They just lost another two to four million people with this current refugee uh, uh, crisis that's going on. But it's still a large country which offered a lot of opportunity for corrupt globalist elites to play yeah. corrupt globalist yep. elite games. Yep. That does not uh, in any way preclude the Ukrainian people from a right to self-determine. And that's what I'm seeing too much from our side on the right. And it pains me because, you know, our side is the side of Reagan who believed that America, shining city on the hill, has a moral predicate because we are the, the nation founded in Enlightenment and Judeo-Christian values and post-Enlightenment classical liberalism of freedom of uh, town crier theorem where, you know, if you can't go into the middle of your town and, and condemn, criticize your uh, your leadership, then you don't have a free country. And we should have moral ground in common with those who aspire to build that. I don't think it's going to happen in the Middle East. I don't think it's going to happen in many places in Africa, at least at this stage of the society's evolution. But yep. in, the, in the European, Central and European uh, sphere, where they're coming out of Sovietism, where, you know, some on the right say, we need to make Putin our ally and Russia our ally because they're Christian and Putin's a defender of, of, uh, of tradition. <laughs> right. I find that to be a, a, a total canard because the guy's murdering, lying, cheating, stealing. Right. Uh, he's doing the same things the godless communists did the same way because he was educated under that system and he yearns for that system. He said it. I always say when somebody tells you who they are, believe them. And for 20, 30 years, sure. he's been saying yep. the greatest tragedy that's happened in modern geopolitics is the breakup of the Soviet Union because that created a unipolar world with the West, where the American hegemony uh, took over in determining the direction of the globe, most people would argue empirically that's been a good thing. Uh, you know, American, you know, Cal, uh, what was it, uh, Calvin Coolidge said, the business of America is business. Uh, mm. Countries that trade together and engage in free commerce build peaceful prosperity regimes and societies, right. uh, and there's an additive positive good that comes out of it. Uh, but when you have a command autocracy, a dictatorship like you have in Russia, there are no free elections. You know, you get a figure like Navalny or Boris Nemtsov and they get assassinated. We right. will not be right. allied with them in any way more than short-term realpolitik uh, rational self-interests, but not in the long term. They were always going to go to China's arms and work with China because they come from the same rotted fruit, which is Marxism. They are still communists in every sense. They may have introduced some state capitalism 
and their cronyism is certainly at odds with rule of law. But they are Marxist through and through, from the Bolshevik Revolution to Mao and the Cultural Revolution. Uh, this is who they are, and this is why they are an existential threat to the Pax Americana and those who just want to be left alone to trade and engage in commerce and build peaceful, prosperous societies and, and, and leave it to their children better than when they found it. Uh, that is not Russia. We, will not, we cannot be allies with a regime that is willing to aggress its neighbors with phony pretexts like for instance, and we see the interference in elections, ours and many others. They've been doing this for 100 years. This is how they compete. Uh, but the pretest that uh, Ukrainians have committed a genocide in, uh, in yeah. Eastern, yeah. Eastern Ukraine against Russians and, and Russian speakers, right. that's nonsense. At 1415, they kicked them all out. There yeah. are no Ukrainians there. So what genocide? Yeah, to think that we would have, over the last eight years, not heard and had real documentary <laughs> proof that right. there was a Russian genocide going on with still one of the largest military powers in the world right there. This is a pretext, and it's a pretext I'm seeing utilized not just by the St. Petersburg troll farmers, uh, but by you know the right who just wants to own the libs. Uh, who yep. believes that it, non-interventionism is the only way. It's like Buchananism, Pat Buchananism on steroids. Even he believed that we had a moral imperative to defeat communism. It was in our rational self-interest because there's an us-or-them mentality when you're dealing with communists. Workers of the world unite, and we're going to take over the world and deliver our communist utopia to everyone, whether they want it or not. And if you look at who's standing with Russia right now, Cuba, North Korea, Venezuela, Pakistan, Algeria, Syria, uh, you know, and then you've got China even waffling on it as they are engaging their own realpolitik decisions yeah. on what they want to do. Right. Uh, they obviously gave him the go-ahead a couple months ago, and then they sort of are now abstaining from uh, from playing in the sandbox. <laughs> but it's sure. not a, a good axis of powers uh, globally that are playing with Russia and saying, "No, no, Putin's right." You know, Central yeah. African Republic, uh, Central African Republic uh, is volunteering some of their mil internal militiamen to come and fight. When you've got Syrians who you've You've, you've actually bombed their country, and Syrian partisans loyal to Assad, they're now coming to Russia. I don't think he's winning. I mean, when you have to recruit Syrians, uh, that means that you're out of your troops and your chain of command is broken down because you're not going to be issuing instructives from Moscow in Arabic that are going to be uh, uh, upheld in yeah. any way. So this is now desperation. Uh, he needed to roll over Ukraine in three, four, five, six days uh, to get all the concession points he wanted. And I think ultimately he'll withdraw in the next week or two. It's going to be ugly in the next week already today. Mm. Nobody's reporting it. But the linchpin is the Crimean land bridge. It's why he did this, uh, is to connect uh, Crimea, this uh, incredibly militarily strategic warm water port peninsula that has been fought for and fought over for a thousand years, including the famous 19th century Crimean War. This is not new. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. needed Crimea to defend Russia long term, and he needs that land bridge to supply Crimea, this region on the, on the sea that connects Russia and Crimea because he's had to supply it using uh, shipping, which is very costly. He needs an overland route. So Mariupol is the 10th largest city in the country. Uh, it's in the dead smack in the middle of Crimea, halfway between the peninsula entry point and the Russian border. And uh, right now, as we speak, he's bombing the hell out of it. I mean, he just bombed the, uh, the, the theater in Mariupol, which is where a thousand people were sheltered in the basement. Yeah. So we'll be yeah. getting data, I'm sure, in the next 12 to 24 hours on how many deaths that uh, that entailed. But he's going to have to go full Grozny on, uh, on Mariupol for him to 
walk away with anything in this, and he's not going to walk away empty-handed, which means tens of thousands of people in Mariupol. And many of them are Ukrainians who had fled Crimea in 1415, and they went to Mariupol. It was the nearest uh, bigger city. You had Mykolaiv and Kherson, also bigger cities, but Mariupol is yep. a much bigger city. And so they are defending it well. Well, they're going to about to get bombarded like crazy because he needs this city to fall. Then he will come to the table. Everything else has been a posture. Navy going toward Odessa, uh, Lutsk, uh, a city an hour north of Lviv, and an hour from the Polish border, the NATO peripheral border. All of this is a distraction, the encirclement of Kiev. These are all pawns on a chessboard he's trying to create to concede later, but he cannot concede Mariupol. He cannot concede the Crimean land bridge. Uh, So it's going to get real ugly before it gets better, is my read. We were not made to live in isolation. Sadly, many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. A lot of guys end up drinking, a lot of guys end up losing hope. Someone will go to the VA and they'll try to get, you know, prescription medications to help with PTSD. You know, they'll get pills for anxiety, they'll get pills because they can't sleep, now they'll get pills for depression before they know it. They're taking 12 different medications. And when it's not working out, these guys lose hope. And that's why there's 23 guys a day committing suicide. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. As a result, we've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Everything they said just kept hitting me in the heart over and over and over again. It's like all the things that I didn't know that I needed to hear. And uh, I opened my heart to God that week, dude, and like... (laughs) I've been a different person ever since. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. We provide our programs and resources, including travel, at no cost to our warriors. I remember talking to a licensed uh, social worker who actually handed me a pamphlet to Mighty Oaks. So I went. Glad I did. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. Our mission is to serve and restore our nation's warriors and families who have endured hardship through their service to America and to help them find new life purpose through hope in Christ. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Man, thanks for breaking that down. I I have a personal interest in Ukraine. I spent, my wife and I spent uh, almost a month in 2018 and another month in 2019 in Ukraine working with Ukrainian military families. Wow. Um, And we did a couple of, you know, camps and seminars for families. Um, Part of that was spending time in in both Lviv and Nikolaev and, uh, we were in Odessa, so that region is very familiar with me. We've got a lot of friends there. Yeah, great um, people. Several great people. Incredible people, churches, uh, yeah. and they're doing it right now. I, I get texts, you know, almost every day with pictures, and, and it's the churches taking care of each other. Um, you know, it's, it is incredible. And, and even having spent time there, we, we stayed in Kiev at the uh, Ukraine Hotel <laughs> right yep. there on the square. Yep. And, you know, the story there and the passion that Ukrainians tell the story um, and uh, their history with Russia goes way back, obviously. Okay. I mean, it, it goes, you know, a couple thousand years back, but certainly yeah. to the 30s, to Holodomor. And uh, it, it, it's a very 
for those in the West, I think it's a very difficult history to kind of get our brains around. But when you look at Putin, probably the most optimistic light to shine on him is, well, he's simply trying to create a buffer zone for himself from the West. His demand has been to stay out of NATO. And if Zelensky would simply uh, acquiesce to that, then all of this would end. Uh, How would you respond to that? Because to me, that's the most common sense view of everything that's happening. That's probably what's going to end up happening. Uh, you know, we, the West agreed to that in Minsk Accords earlier. Uh, and at the same time as uh, he, his over-aggression in the situation is absolutely, it meets, uh, you know, Slobodan Milosevic level atrocities and war yeah. crimes uh, and, and just the bombardment of civilian targets to, to weaken cities so he can take them over and, and, and entrench uh, Russian forces for military strengthening. Uh, it is unacceptable, but we definitely wag the dog on this. Uh, you know, yes. when Kamala Harris goes to Munich, uh, which is the most important uh, global security conference where everybody in the world takes note of what's being said, this is where, you know, heads of state and defense, uh, uh, defense ministers lay out what their strategic uh, objectives are and look to work together on where they find common ground. And she's saying, we're going to put NATO in Ukraine. This was a month ago. She's yeah. saying, we're going to put NATO in Ukraine. They wanted this. They wanted to close the narrative on COVID and shift the news cycle because we're into the midterms and COVID compliance is polling quite poorly. You've got 10 percent inflation. The Biden administration, as Bannon says, you know, stolen elections. Uh, elections have consequences. Stolen yes. elections have grave consequences or catastrophic right. consequences. We're right. seeing that. We saw Afghanistan and power pours a vacuum. He saw now was the time for him to act with Western Biden uh, administration, EU fecklessness, weakness. NATO is now a confab of just military industrial complex uh, contract laundering for friends and cronies of, of people in this complex, think tankers and, you know, the deep state and globalist elite, the party of Davos, as Bannon calls yep. them. Uh, but the, the Ukrainians have a right to say we want NATO protection and they have a right to fight for it and fight over it if it turns into a conflagration. What was unfortunate for them is the pushing of the West and Zelensky's, in my view, naivete that they would be there uh, as he's taking their carrots you know, they're offering the carrots at the same time we saw what happened with the election. Yovanovitch, the impeachment, Vinman. Uh, you know, Ukraine is not a clean place. And you know, I live in Poland part time, and Poland is the best of the post communist nations, maybe the Baltics, right. uh, Latvia, right. Lithuania, Estonia, small economies, uh, homogenous, and more Scandinavian culturally in some ways than Slavic. Uh, and so they're, you know, very, they're, they're strong, honest governance. But where you had big communist Soviet complexes, like in Poland, you know, Poland was fighting, it's still fighting its post communist influences and trying to purchase judiciary of former card-carrying communists. So Ukraine is way behind Poland in this respect. And Poland had the benefit of EU ascension in 04 uh, and NATO ascension for a, uh, you know, a strategic defensive uh, uh, security guarantee. Uh, But Ukraine is behind that. I think ultimately they're going to have to accept, you know, some level of, you know, what is it, five years, 10 years, 15 years, just to get some peace and to create an accord that that catalyzes a Russian withdrawal with a much stronger Russia on its peripheral border because yes. it is going to have Donbass and Luhansk. Yep. They're going to do the same playbook they had in uh, Crimea in 15 where they're going to hold a referendum and it's going to win overwhelmingly because there are no Ukrainians left there. They were all pushed out in 14, 15, 16. Then some went to Mariupol. Mariupol, same thing. That whole Crimean southern Donbass region that connects yep. Uh, yep. Crimea and Russia, they're going to they're gonna have a, uh, they're going to offer an exit to everyone in Mariupol who's of Ukrainian descent or views themselves as Ukrainian and not Russians, or even has viewed themselves as Russians but doesn't want to live under Putin's thumb, which sure, many do not. Sure. 
Uh, yeah. They're going to be offered a you know one-time amnesty exit, uh, get out, and then they'll hold a referendum, and then Russia will say, see, it's honest. Uh, but they are going to be strengthened, and those are going to be the first three points, is Donbass, Luhansk, and this Crimean land bridge region, uh, and then the NATO ascension uh, will be you know, committed to be off the table, and maybe that'll be broken in five or ten years, and we'll have another battle from a different perspective, a different uh, level of strength uh, you know, from the West versus Russia, or you know, however it plays out. But I do think those are the main points that will be acceded to in a dialogue that is starting to take place, uh, and there's no shortage of those India, Israel, Turkey that want to sure. host it because sure. all three of those countries are actually caught between a rock and a hard place. Uh, Israel needs Russia support because of Iran, Turkey, same <laughs> right. thing. And right. India's got the worry that if, you know, India gets a lot of weapon systems from Russia and has a lot of trade, but uh, Pakistan's biggest weapon supplier is Russia. And so if India goes cold with Russia, then you could imagine that Pakistan's militarization yeah. buildup will be that much quicker. So you've got three countries that are trying. I mean, I'm no big fan of Turkey and Erdogan, but I mean, his realpolitik for once is well aligned. It's not aligned with, you know, the uh, sort of global jihadist Islamist theocracies. It's aligned right. with the West because uh, Iran, which is so much more hard line, uh, looks at Turkey and says, yeah, you know, after Israel, we'll probably go to <laughs> Turkey because, you know, they've got a bunch of Kurds. Yeah, uh, right. Erdogan's too Western, uh, so- too soft on the West. Uh, so, I mean, they all have their considerations, which is Ultimately, a good thing for the West is that these countries do have middle ground uh, to play uh, with Russia. And I think these talks will be you know, ongoing the next week or two. But as Putin will say, just like he said, we're going to open up humanitarian corridors and then bombed uh, civilians as they were exiting to, you know, put the fear of God into them and continue with his shock and awe, which, by yeah. the way, the shock and awe is uh, quite diminished as we see the t- his, his military hardware be decimated by 50 percent. Right. He's got right. tanks stuck right. in the mud uh, and being hauled off by uh, Ukrainians with their tractors. Uh, you know, this was almost like a Napoleonic folly uh, right. entering Ukraine. I think he had to because of the timing yeah. uh, geopolitically. But, uh, you know, like Napoleon going into the into Russia in the 19th century and then <clears throat> going scorched earth and him losing yep. a good chunk of his military. Well, Putin had a similar folly here because, uh, you know, late winter in Ukraine, as you know from being there, it ain't the Eisenhower interstate system. No, and it's horrible. It's not, you know, German funded, uh, uh, German taxpayer funded highways uh, for uh, for Central Europe that are part of the EU. No, it, yep. it, it's pretty muddy, a pretty, a pretty big drainage ditch, so to speak, much like Belarus. Yeah, they're not good when they're not good when the weather's good. No, that's, ex- that's exactly right. So, I mean, you've yeah. got snow melting, ice thawing. It, it goes into the ground. The ground softens up. Yep. And these tanks are yeah. really crappy. And, they're, you know, his, this is just like out of Chernobyl, that series, uh, when you see the, uh, the tragic uh, chain of events that could only have happened in a communist system with no accountability except top-down autocracy that you tell yep. the t- your, your superiors what they want to hear. Otherwise, you're off to the gulag in 20 minutes. Uh, well, that's what his generals <laughs> Uh, we're dealing with, and he's cloistered in the uh, sort of ivory tower Politburo of the Kremlin, and uh, his generals are telling him, yeah, we'll walk right over, we'll stomp right over Ukraine, and then three to five days later, they're quagmired. So now they have to get more aggressive. Yeah. It's why they did the uh, uh, the, the, the move into Lutsk, uh, just to saber rattle close to the NATO peripheral border, uh, down from Belarus, and close to Poland, uh, and close to Lviv, which is now essentially the sort of capital in exile, uh, where all of the, uh, the, the governments and foreign governments yeah. and embassies and aid 
aid activity and refugee transportation is being organized from. And so he went perilously close to there. Uh, I think he did not go into there for the simple reason that at that point, NATO might act. So he didn't want to escalate that. Right. He would have gotten right. his ass kicked. Uh, right. But now we're going to see, you know, Graz- I really think we're going to see Grozny and Mariupol. We're going to see that whole city, which is a shame because on many levels, obviously it's humanitarian, but it's also an unbelievable cultural center for, for Russians and Ukrainians and their shared Eastern Russian Orthodox yep. uh, history and, and religious history. I mean, some of the most important churches uh, in, in right. Eastern Orthodoxy yep, are in Mariupol. Right. And I don't know if they survive this. And this is why, while Putin is saying that he's just trying to defend uh, the Slavic uh, regions yep. from, uh, from the Western godle- godlessness and he's the good <laughs> Christian, well, he's going to destroy the churches. You know, sure. Trump said something to him when uh, they talked about uh, uh, him taking, you know, Crimean Lambridge and, uh, and, and uh, Putin said, oh, I, you know, I wouldn't do that. There's so many churches there. And Trump looked at him and said, sure, Vladimir, you really care about the churches. <laughs> you care about the churches. Yeah. He, he's a big Christian guy. Yeah, yeah big he Christian. cares about church. everybody. Um, so right now we're talking about uh, Zelensky asked the United States government to enforce a no-fly zone. I know Poland has been asked to, you know, provide a no-fly zone. Um, it, many people in the West, and it, you know, I, I come from a military background, and I'm I'm pretty solid on world history. I'm very hesitant to say that's a good idea. Now, again, I agree with you that um, uh, self-governance that people have the opportunity and the right to stand up for their own freedom. I believe that freedom is given by God, not by governments. I, I agree. I completely agree with that. There is a part of me, though, that says, I'm not sure we want to cross that line. Agreed. Um, do you think that a no-fly zone should be enforced by the West? Um, if so, what happens? And if not, what happens? So these are, you know, obviously fluid dynamics. And at this stage, if we, at any point in the last week, 10 days, as it's got onto the table, and you've got certainly, you know, the neocons and a lot of the uh, the Dems who love the military-industrial complex pushing it, yeah, they want right, right. World War III because they right. lost their cash cow in Afghanistan. That's right. And they left 80, right. 80 to $100 billion uh, in uh, in weaponry there that you know that I think that was by design because if they leave it there now they get contracts to you know re- now we have to reproduce it, it. you yeah. got to reproduce it yeah. uh, but I don't think that any point in the last ten or twelve days since that's been discussed it is a valid escalation and it would be it would be an escalation on our part and then Putin would use that to justify and probably get China on his side uh, to now go full air-to-air combat with the West over NATO territory. And that would be, you know, this would be a, create a domino effect, I believe, that could could really be World War III. All of a sudden, you'd have shifting alliances, you'd have military buildups and movements. Uh, You know, it's, the best thing we can do is supply under, you know, the the humanitarian construct uh, weapons to Ukraine. They've got people. I mean, you know, by martial law style diktat, no uh, no Ukrainian able-bodied male 18 to 60 is allowed to leave the country. He's got to be there. And I don't think any of them want to. I live in Warsaw part-time. And after 2014, when the Donbass was destabilized and you had all these eastern Ukrainians come in who were not Russian, uh, they became uh, Uber drivers in Warsaw. And you saw, okay. you know, Uber go from uh, X cost to one-fifth of X cost and availability supply went way up. And I was there a couple weeks ago, and there were no Ubers because all the Ukrainians went back to fight. Back to Ukraine, So yeah. when, when I hear, you know, the St. Petersburg troll farm talking points uh, adopted by right-wing thinkers that, you know, are my friends, that, oh, Ukraine's not really a country. The, the West is European, Austro-Hungarian, like Lviv, and uh, the East is Russian. and was cobbled together, you know, via Versailles 
1939 and uh, Stalin and Yalta. Yeah. That's yeah. nonsense. You know, even before yeah. 2014, you walked around Kiev in a Russian soccer jersey, you were going to get your ass kicked. Uh, you know, <laughs> these are people who believe they are Ukrainian. They have their own culture. Hell, Stalin knew it. That's why he tried to starve them in yeah. the 30s while taking right. all their wheat in the Holdemore. He wanted to ethnically cleanse them to make them Rus fully russified you know this right. history goes back to 950 and yes these are warring slavic tribes that are cousins uh and over a thousand years they differentiated politically geographically culturally to some degree they're still cousins and i don't think the 19 year old conscripts who are being forced to the front uh under threat of physical uh reprisal uh wanted to be there they were told these were exercises and now they got to go you know shoot at their cousins where they rather yeah. you know have yeah. a vodka with and 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 talk football uh so it's uh the no-fly zone, I think, is not valid at this stage. Uh, at some point, could it be? You know, if Putin was successful, and I don't think he will be, in attacking Odessa uh, via uh, navally, uh, you know, using the warships and, and just leveling Odessa and moving into Odessa with mass death toll to then go toward Moldova, which I think was part of the potential original yeah. plan, depending yeah. on how things yeah. played out. You take over Ukraine, then you take over Moldova. Uh, and then you're on the NATO peripheral border on the Romanian side, which is a much weaker peripheral border than the Polish side. Poland has spent the better part of the last 10 years arming up big. They have dedicated a huge chunk of GDP because they saw they saw the writing on the wall after yeah, Georgia sure. in 08. They yeah, knew this was coming eventually. And so they took uh, heed of it. Romania is not Poland, and it's still more corrupt than Poland. Right. Uh, and right. it has a much weaker defensive framework in place, complex in place. So that would be the power move for Putin to then go to war against NATO. If we escalated with a no-fly zone, he would be doing that. And all of a sudden, we'd have a hot war within NATO territory. And so I don't think it's a good move. But if he were to you know, breach NATO uh, peripheral border, then yeah, then that's on the table. It, it would have to be based on all the alliances. And if we ignored the NATO, uh, you know, protect all, you know, three musketeers, all for yeah. one, one for all uh, yeah. dynamic that is NATO, uh, then uh, then it would all go. It would everything would fall apart. And now we'd have a much more complicated World War Three yeah. where you wouldn't have an Axis and an allied uh, power. You'd have six or seven different polarities fighting for themselves. And that would be even more chaotic and lead to an even bigger death toll, in my view. So I do not think a no fly zone is yeah. appropriate. And I don't think it'll really come down to having to be, uh, you know, put on the table in a real serious manner. I think it was a bit of saber rattling, talking about it, try to see the reaction. What we should be doing is giving the Ukrainians uh, the aerial capacity like the Polish mix. And what they did there was just an epic cluster. And I think a little bit it was by design. Uh, they don't mind isolating Poland, much like they wouldn't mind isolating Hungary. They hate sure. this government. Uh, they wouldn't mind weakening it. Uh, so that they can get leftists like Donald Tusk, who was head of you know the who was the previous government and uh, and head of the EU. Uh, this was somebody who was very very pliant with the Atlanticists and the globalist dreams of one world government, uh, who doesn't believe in sovereign autonomy as much. And so you've got cultural conservatives running Poland and Hungary, and I, the State Department and Washington D.C. writ large would love to see them fold and get uh, you know tucked into the EU uh, more progressive cultural political framework yeah. uh so yeah. i think they were happy to screw poland on this and put egg on their face <laughs> uh poland should just give the migs themselves i understand poland's trepidation doing so because sure. given polish russia relations and how hard sure. i mean of all the eu countries uh the relations between russia are the worst with poland because poland's got the deepest history with russia and has suffered for losing the most autonomy from russia yes. so yes. distrust russia the most and so is frequently calling out russia the most uh, so there's no love lost between 
Poles and Russians in, in geopolitics. And so Poland doesn't want to be the one to escalate it. So there's a little bit of prudence going on there. But the, you know, the American government doing this was, you know, what you know, head faking on will we, won't we, will we, won't we. Uh, was a bad call, and really they should. They should have taken the MiGs to Ramstein and give them, given them to the, uh, given them to the Ukrainians who know how to fly them, and then backfill the Polish Air Force with uh, with American-made planes. Which Poland's been the, one of the largest purchasers of American military armaments on every level, from you know uh, land, sea, and air. Uh, all yep. the weapon systems Poland's have, Poland's been buying the last ten years have been American-made. No French, uh, no uh, you know Brazilian, no uh, you know it's all been American. Yeah. So, you know, that's an ally and we should be working with them constructively right. instead of undermining them. But, you know, par for the course with the Biden administration and sure. in every facet of policy, not just foreign policy. Yeah. In every facet of policy. Um, so Zelensky is someone who right now on the world stage is is hailed as a hero and, and all those things. And uh, I won't question that. I will say he's not my favorite. I was in uh, I was in Ukraine when he was elected and I did not have one conversation with one person who was happy that he had been elected. Um, there's a part of me that thinks that, you know, his, his background is very, it, it gives him the ability to look at the world from a, how can I build my platform position? Yeah. And I, I only say all of that to lead into this question. How does someone like Zelensky, who is the guy on the planet right now, hailed by governments that would not have even answered the phone had he called them three months ago, how does he negotiate with Russia in a way that actually allows Putin to get what he wants out of this thing and allows peace to come to the, uh, you know, the people of Ukraine? How, how does two big egos, how does that work yeah. in the next couple of weeks? Well, ultimately, no neighbor of Russia will ever have peace with Russia. Russia, at least as Russian governance and society mm, yeah, is, as it is yeah. now. Only when, and I even say this about Poland and Romania and EU members as well, you know, Baltics, again, are a little bit different. There's a little bit more Scandinavian uh, governance and culture there. But, in you know, the, you look at the Balkans, for instance, uh, the corruption is rife, and it's a vestige of communism and the, the, the ugly transition yep. from communism to post-communism to some sort of modern democracy. These things are not like flipping a light switch. You've got these vestigial organs in place. And only when all those who are educated under communist systems are gone can true classical, yeah. liberal, Western, right. you know, right. God-first values, not just, you know, the cult of power and personality, uh, take hold, uh, rule of law and sort of the, in its primacy. Uh, that being said, the short-term peace that, you know, is desired by all parties, you know, Russia would be happy if their military was much more capable. They would not want peace. They would, they would go full sure. takeover Ukraine, Moldova, yep. Georgia, Azerbaijan, definitely for Baku and the port there. Uh, they would do it all. Uh, that, you know, this is Putin's been telling us for decades what he wants, what he believes. Uh, but and I agree with you, Zelensky is far from a perfect character. But, you know, knowing the Ukrainian nascent democracy and how much better it's gotten. I've been there. I've watched it. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah, of course. You know, Zelensky certainly was a Western chosen construct. But he was still freely elected. I don't think there was the election irregularity that was behind Yanukovych's ballot stuffing in the second round versus Timoshenko. Uh, or Poroshenko, I still think, as dirty as he was, he was freely elected. He had a big sure. platform. He was a quote-unquote a capitalist in a modern sense that they, that they believed in. They didn't know in fourteen fifteen that he was as dirty as he was. When they figured it out, they clamored for elections to turf his ass out. So the, and I look at the legislature, you've got freely elected 
democratically uh, legislators yep. Yep, uh, in the Rada, in the Ukrainian parliament. Uh, and so it's been getting better. Now, in terms of how does Zelensky, you know, uh, orchestrate this, it's going to be through third-party proxies. There's a lot of rational self-interests at play here with many stakeholders to see peace. People aren't even talking about the derivative effect of this. There will be no crop uh, you know, season. There will be no farming season this year in Ukraine. Ukraine's 5% of global wheat supply, and it feeds the third world. Derivative effect. You're going to see another Arab Spring with huge instability in the Middle East and Sub-Saharan Africa because their food source is now less secure and yeah, is lacking. Right. So there's right. all sorts of derivative effects, and most of the stakeholders know we better get this thing stabilized soon. Otherwise, we're going to have even bigger problems as the global economy rolls over after 13 years of money printing by the ECB and the, the Federal Reserve. You know, we've had zero interest rates for 13 years until last year. Uh, yeah. After 2008 and 2009, that's created a, a very, very rife moment for a deep, deep recession. That also brings lots of political instability. Recessions drive political instability as well. So leadership does not want this. Stability is good. They can continue with their crony corrupt backroom deals in a stable environment. Uh, In an unstable environment, when that happens and they get caught, they get Qaddafi'd and they get ripped limb by limb (laughs) in the streets by their citizens. Right. They have a rational self-interest to stabilize this. And I think yeah. you get these four concessionary points. You know, the territorial integrity is definitely breached, and it will be the, – the map lines will be redrawn. Putin's economy is going to be in bad shape for a while. I do not see sanctions being lifted anytime soon. And moreover, now he has to pay the pensions of the pensioners in Donbass, Luhansk, mm, Crimea, yep. Mariupol, and he could barely yep. afford that in mainland Russia. So – but I think that, you know, Zelensky will agree. Uh, no EU ascension, no, uh, no NATO ascension for X amount of years, whether it's 5, 10, 15, 20, yeah. whatever that is. And, you know, we'll so come self-interest to- is going to fix all this. Always Just does. Just self-interest. Always does. Always <laughs> it does. always does. Man, that's, uh, that's great. I appreciate that. Um, there's a lot we could talk about, but uh, we'll stop right there. Uh, where can people follow you and the work that you do? You write on all of these issues, and people need to follow you. Yeah, so I'm, you know, social media is sort of the hub and uh, hub and nexus of where you know I post whether it's videos or writing or uh, you know uh, interviews like this. So that's you know Getter's become my primary and full disclosure. Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm working with Getter. You know, Jason Miller's a close friend. I'm helping promote Getter in all the countries in yeah. Europe. Traveling with him, it's been a, a great. The platform's growing in a great way, and it's, awesome. it's really user friendly and it's not censorious like uh, like. Twitter. I mean, I, I, I'm on the board of Project Veritas. I've been shadow banned. January 18, Project Veritas exposed shadow banning. March 18, I became shadow banned. And now it's a tree falls <laughs> with bars on Twitter. Right. So Getter's been pretty good. Uh, I, and obviously all the other social media platforms. So it's just my name, Matthew Termond, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-T-Y-R-M-A-N-D. So. It's good. And Getter just rolled out the newest feature where you can post on post Getter. Post. And it'll post directly over to Twitter, which is awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you want to post there, but you don't want to go there? This is how you do it. It's exactly. awesome. Exactly. Exactly. Man, Matthew Terman, thank you so much, man. Hopefully we can uh, talk again soon, but I uh, really appreciate your time. I look forward to it, bro. All right. Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of their lives. He created the Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for you and me. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. Mike's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. Sale of the year. That means it's not going to happen again. This is the sale of the year. What is it? For a limited time, you will receive 60% off the Giza Dream Sheets that comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. You will receive a set for as low as $39.99. For a limited time, with any purchase, you will receive Mike's soft cover book free when you use promo code SITREP. 
Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code SITREP. Along with this offer, you will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. For those of you that would rather use the phone, and some of you are out there, you know who you are, call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or MyPillow.com and use the promo code SITREP. What an incredible conversation, and uh, we probably could have spent another hour or more uh, breaking that down, and uh, so thankful for uh, Matthew's perspective. Again, as someone who has not only read about it and has had some conversations, but has been there, has spent time there, even recently has spent time there, uh, spends much of his time in Poland and very involved in politics there. Uh, What an incredible perspective. And when we talk about providing the perspectives we need, the information we need to navigate an ever-changing culture. Uh, It's folks like Matthew Tierman that can help us do that, and I'm so thankful that he would come on with us today. So please follow him. You will be happy that you did. And again, want to thank you for listening to this podcast, to this show. Uh, Want to remind you, if you're listening, make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform it is that you are listening from. And take some time if you'd like to. We also do a video edition or video version of this podcast you can find on Salem Now. That's on the Salem Podcast Network. Go to Salem. You can find Salem Now and you can find this show there. And uh, perhaps that's something that would be uh, helpful to you. A lot of the great content there as well. And would invite, invite you to check it all out. Again, thank you for joining us today. We will talk to you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.